listener production. G'day, you are listening to episode 97 of the Howie Games Part B featuring a man of many talents, Nat Five. Roll on. You said you've listened to some of the episodes of this show, which I'm grateful for, so you will know that my kids ask the occasional question in the podcast. Nat. I have heard that, yes. You get the pickle, who's my 10-year-old daughter, Sky, and it's very relevant to what you're just talking about. Here is her question for you, Nathan. That is a great question and um, this is actually a really easy answer, Howie, given that we're on the Zoom call. Yes. Um, they're sort of just there on that oh, they ledge too. behind us um, they and they're, they're there because I had one at Optus Stadium on a long-term <laughs> rental agreement and that only expired at the end of last year and I sort of wanted to put the two of them together for a little bit and I have taken them to a couple of dinners and whatnot. But generally I don't have, I haven't had the first one since I won it and these ones, once the season gets going again, I dare so I'll end up at the footy club somewhere. So great question. Do you ever look at them and reflect or is that something you do in 15 years' time? <laughs> it's, it's so weird. I watch the American sports stars sort of flashing their rings around all the time and, um, and a couple of times I've opened them up and looked at them and even considered maybe, like, would would you put it on? And then straight away, I just slammed it shut and gone, don't be so ridiculous, like, <laughs> put them away. It's funny you say that because I've said this before. I love in my job the American sports and I love how we celebrate, they celebrate individualism in a team game and it's nothing for a guy who's played a great game or a girl who's played a great game to get up there and say, what about my performance? They will wear their Super Bowl rings. You would get castigated in this country, and I'll say it, you don't need to say it. I think that's one of the great – for the world's best country, I think it's our one great failing is the tall poppy syndrome and the fact that, you you know, you have to stay humble. Is there any part of you that would like to whack the Brownlows on and occasionally just say, I'm pretty good? Or is that <laughs> just not you at all, Fifey? Nah, it's definitely not me. Um, I I've had a couple of – big piss-ups here on Mad Mondays and a few of the boys have found the first one when I had it here for a while and they were wandering around with it on and I got I got pretty stoked watching that. Um, <laughs> but, no, no part of me wants to wear it myself. <laughs> okay, okay. Leadership. You're the captain of the football club. You might not be up to the, um, the latest episode of The Last Dance that I've seen. Uh, I think it's number eight. So it's, while we're doing this, it's the most recently released one. Jordan talks about how brutal he was on his teammates and that it's a lonely thing at times to be a leader. How have you approached leadership? Because it's not just five or six blokes. It's, it's an organisation, but it's 40-odd footballers. It's a big job. <laughs> It is a big job and I've approached it with real open eyes and probably knew the first couple of years I was going to stuff a few things up. Um, the biggest thing I was nervous about was was that element that I am quite a uh, – I can get myself ready to perform at any, um, any moment 
but am I capable of bringing people along for the ride? And does that mean I have to compromise on my own preparation to be able to let people in? Mm. And that's now one of my biggest challenges and the thing I really enjoy the most about going to work as a footy player is how can I be a a better leader? How can I be accessible and approachable to younger players and share some of the secrets of of preparation that I've learned as well as um, perform and inspire and encourage uh, on game day? And we've got such a young team at the moment. I'm the fourth oldest on our team now, Mm. um, but I'm getting huge huge enjoyment out of getting texts from younger players saying teach me about meditation or what do you know about performance preparation in this aspect or what does this mean to you um so I'm, I'm really enjoying that aspect i've got so much more to learn i'm constantly looking around and seeing what other people are doing but now having done the job for four years i'm feeling a bit more authentic uh, and feeling like i can become the leader um the, the best leader i can be and not really try and be anyone else you mentioned mistakes early on looking back Four years into the job, what would you have done differently four weeks into the job? Uh, I had an experience with a younger player where he slipped up and I knew and had to make a decision between protecting him and setting standards for the playing group um, and some of the playing group already knew. And the mistakes I made were um, were that I gave him a promise that I'd be able to protect him when I knew I couldn't. And I was trying to say all the right things as a leader without actually being a good leader. And so that experience, as hard as it was on everyone and how and the amount of time hurt our relationship with that player for a little bit, um, it really taught me a lot. And, and since then I've had a couple of situations I've been able to handle better. How do you go about when you see others? Because everyone, everyone's different. Fifey, and I think really driven people, and this, mate, this is straight out of Jordan's mouth, not mine because I'm not elite, but he was, and he would just get frustrated when he wouldn't see others preparing to the level that he would prepare. Now, everyone does things differently. How have you gone about, and we've discussed your preparation, how have you gone about dealing with it yourself and your teammates when those around you may not be as fanatical about what they're doing to prepare for a game? It's one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with as a leader, Howie, and will continue to deal with. And watching the Jordan uh, last dance has been uh, has been amazing for me to go, okay, this, this is what he dealt with and this is what I'm dealing with. And, um, and I've had a couple of sessions where the players have been able to give me feedback and that's constantly the message that I get from the players, that they feel that my standards for myself are so high and... Uh, they feel uncomfortable trying to live up to those standards and sometimes my communication with them comes across as being too hard. Um, so th- that's something early days I got that feedback a lot. I'm constantly trying to shift and adjust it and a lot of the time it's not the things that you say. It can be in your body language or um, in your nonverbals. And so that's the challenge I'm going to have to face going forward. A lot of players that I deal with really love being driven as hard as they can uh, and some don't. And in a team of 46 or a list of 46, you're not always going to be the perfect personality type that matches everyone. But that's the main one in my conscious awareness that I have to make sure I try and cater for everyone and not try and drive an unrealistic standard um, on the entire group. 
Ross Lyon, who, as I said, I'm not giving away state secrets. I spoke to him yesterday. I've had the pleasure of working him for one Sunday now before the whole <laughs> season was put on hold, and he was fantastic. And I can see within two and a half hours, not knowing him really before, why players love him. He told me about he told me about you, but he told me about you sitting in team meetings and writing down various quotes that he has, <laughs> and then pulling out this little quote book. Come the end of the season celebrations and starting to reel them off. <laughs> he told me a few of them, but I'd rather you told me a few of them. Oh, um, I was going to have to remember a few of them now. He just he came across in 2012, yep. and um, he just would just start reeling out these one-liners in team meetings. That would that were too good to let just go through to the keeper, and and these are very serious moments in meetings and I am like muffling my laughter with my own t-shirt trying to control myself and um uh like the the best one I think I I really enjoy was um he we're in a team meeting and he was talking about the expectations on all players and he basically said uh verbatim he said whether you're the best player on the list or the worst player on the list whether you're Matthew Pavlich or, and he named this young kid and pointed at him. And it was a very serious meeting. So no one really laughed and I was losing it. And um, then came the end of the year, Mad Monday, and I jumped up. He was in the room. I started reeling out these quotes and uh, I reeled that one out and he turned to this kid and made him scull his beard. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was referring to another one, and I haven't written it down properly, and I can often not read my own writing, but he's, he's talking about someone taking a long time to get rid of the football, and he's talking about, what, well, did you want to oh, stop? the comb. The comb. Tell me about the comb. <laughs> the comb. Tell me about the comb, uh, Paul Duffield is right. the comb. Uh, beautiful man, one of my good friends, and he was an immaculate user of half-back, and quite often he would buy himself time with a little lateral step and assess the situation, and most of the time uh, would scalpel it down the ground. But this must have been a game where he was buying himself too much time and got ran down a couple of times, and he always had really nice hair duck. And <laughs> I think it was at half-time, Rossi just said, there you are with the ball, hanging it out, you got time to pull a comb out, do your hair before you get rid of the ball. <laughs> And again, at the time, like deathly silent, no one giving anything, but gradually it just turned into one of the great one-liners and everyone would always get their comb out pre-training. <laughs> oh, I, I only got two more questions about footy for you because I want to move on to the other things in your life. Something he did tell me um, that surprised me, that he gave you um, a bit of a touch-up over pre-season 2019 because everything we've talking about performance and preparation, and I didn't understand. You can explain it to me, but he, he was explaining to me the data and the detail that you have on every training session and the reference points you have year on year. I'd be fascinated you explain that to me and then and tell me that you're obviously below where you'd been. I, I, I didn't understand, even working in footy, the, the data that tracks you guys. Yeah, it's uh, very scientific these days how we, we track every session that we do um, meters per minute, sprint distance, how fast you're sprinting, um, all these different elements. There's a contested ball um, uh, measurement where it tracks how many times you hit the deck and get back up and change directions, which 
they collate all this data and compare it year on year. And Ross is a bit of a numbers man. He loves his graphs and his uh, correlations and coefficients and all that gear. And he pulled me aside at um, before the well, it was midway through the 2019 preseason and basically pulled out the numbers and said, comparative to previous years, you're not sprinting anywhere near as much as you have been in training and your quality of work isn't as high. And I explained to him that I'd made a mental shift at my age that I was going to do less high-quality work in December and January, wind it up through February in a bid to try and prolong my season because I'd been breaking down a little bit um, back into the year. The previous year in 18, I did a hamstring about around 15, 16. Mm. So I explained my side of the story. He explained that I wasn't essentially wasn't training hard enough was uh, the nuts and bolts of it. And we sort of um, clashed but came together to say, all right, now's the time where we flip the switch. And, um, and, and I did. From there I started really tying up my shoelaces at training and, and, um, and pushing that quality of work up. And it, it was probably the perfect timing because I ended up playing 21 games through the season, the most games I've played in a number of years and was still feeling really good back into the year. So a timely conversation from him um, and he had all the data in the world to base his arguments off. And you went on and won the Brownlow, so it was a win-win for everybody. Um, <laughs> you talked about um, doing your hamstring. How many... I was reading back, you've had some real impact injuries with a broken leg against the Hawks and, and again in shoulders. How many operations have you had? I've had 17, 17. operations. How old are you? Yep. I'm 28. How does that sit with you? Um, it's it's sort of become my cross to bear. Um, it, early days, the first three or four, you just didn't like getting cut into. But now it's just become such a part and parcel of the price you have to pay for high performance. And I'm a bit of a bendy man, so things just seem to break. Um, and that's part of the idea of now at my age, I have to really switch from going after everything I can achieve physically to how can I just manage my body so I get maximum minutes through the season. Uh, and so Pilates and other mindfulness techniques to be able to do that have come into play. Chris Judd uh, blew me away when we did this about some of the stuff he would do through recovery, some real, he's a different man, Chris, some real what I would call weird-ass <laughs> stuff. Nath, do you, do, you, do you explore with your body and injury and illness, do you explore things outside of what we typically call the Western world or you're pretty much stock standard? Like I, I presume because you're such a well-read man that you've looked at other options, but I don't know that. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm constantly looking for any corner or percentage I can gain. Um, most of them are pretty standard. You would have heard heard about them, but I like to think that we would get onto them before they became more mainstream. So the float tanks early on, um, we were doing these neuro headphones you may have heard of yep. where you put the, the headphones on and, and stimulate through your brain. We've, Jason Weber introduced that to me about six years ago. Um for me, the big, uh, the big one is uh, I started seeing an osteopath after my first year when I got concussed really badly and it was a game changer for me. Um, and I see him basically every week. I can um, before playing, so 20-odd times a year. Um, the catch with it uh, is that he's two and a half hours away by car. Mm. So every week it's a five-hour round trip to go and see him. I think... Um 
think about your way you answer this, mate, because I, I've said to you numerous times about this podcast that we're not trying to make headlines, which is really difficult for a man of your profile in the world in which you live. You were concussed, was it last year? Mm-hmm. Badly. And I remember texting you and you sent me a text with what you were doing, which was basically watching, trying to watch surf movies and not too much else. And you were struggling to do that. How do you reflect on that? There's so much about that in the modern world. You've been knocked out badly a couple of times. Mm. Um, that's the one that scares me, Howie, to be honest. Uh, I can deal with broken legs, shoulder reconstructions, um, soft tissue. I can deal with all those things, but the concussion one and and what that means for your future mm. is is the hard one to try and juggle and justify. Um, I've been knocked out twice now in in 10 years. And and when I say knocked out, I mean like out for a couple of minutes, couldn't get, couldn't remember any of it, couldn't get myself off the ground. Fremantle have it at ground level. Tabernas kick off oh. five, took a heavy hit there. And battle went in strongly and five maybe knocked out here. He took a strong hit to the head and Fremantle players immediately calling for the trainers. Fremantle superstar as we have a look at it. And they clash heads. really hurt. Um, And I've had a number of small incidents since then and and the biggest thing that's had the effect on my body is is a concussion, which I have to... um, I have to see this osteopath for basically every week before I play. Um, it, it, there's a lot of science around it. We're learning more as we go. At this point in time, when I do the maths in my head, I still, I'm still willing to put my body into those situations, and I still see the risk as being worth it. Um, and I try and make that decision as a 45 year old me or 55 year old me, but uh, it's very hard. Um, it's, a, it's a hard one. Good players on the other side of the ground here. Needs to be good. Ooh. Oh, they run into each other. Robert and uh, Five. Ooh. Five's down. Port still have the footy. Roden's kick out wide. Hitchcock is target. Owes him a goal. Five slow to get up. He's still in the trouble. They've got to stop it. They're sensible by the umpire. Just let him get off. Young man. Yeah, he's in a fair bit of trouble at the moment. Uh, heavily concussed. What's the osteopath do every week? Uh, he works with the energies in my body and my head. Um, after I got knocked out the first time in 2010, I spent a year basically with blurred vision and vertigo. I had an operation on my inner ear to try and c- correct it. Um, I played a game up in the Gabba round one 2011 and I couldn't see the ball against the seats in the background because the Gabba seats are a different colour. And I remember at that point saying I'll happily miss a year of footy just if I can get my quality of life back. Um, I was recommended by a person who'd been in multiple car accidents to go and see this guy. He'd been seeing him for whiplash and head problems and he's a, um, an older German fella, um, speak, speaks sort of a broken English. I can hardly understand what he's talking about, but he changed my life. How did he change it? He Overnight he, he treated me and then the next day I woke up and I had clarity of vision. I could balance properly. Um, I basically got back the level of um, of of lifestyle I previously had. Like when I 
was dealing with all my stuff. I couldn't go into a shopping centre with all the busyness that was going on. I played the pre-season games and I'd have to come off at quarter time and put towel over my head and ice packs on my neck to try and shut down all the noise. Um, I was sleeping heavily through the day. It just smashed me and um, I kept trying to play through it. Whether that was a bad idea on, on reflection, I'm not sure, but... All I know is that this year when I got knocked out again, I went down and saw him twice in the first couple of days and I played the following week with no symptoms. So it was, um, yeah, I really credit him. Must have been scary. So back 2011, like what you're describing now, that's um, that's frightening. The scary part, mate, was that, and even now people can't, um, they can't comprehend it. If you see a dislocated shoulder or a broken leg, you can scan it and see it. But with head stuff, it's only what you're explaining and people are only interested as much as they can be. Our doctors did everything they could to send me to every specialist in Western Australia, but um, we, we were finding no definitive answers, mate, and, and it was driving me insane because I just felt like I was whinging or whining or complaining or maybe I was inventing this feeling in my head and it wasn't until as I said I had surgery on my inner ear to try and correct some of that stuff I was doing exercises every day to try and get my balance back it wasn't until I went and saw this guy um, and then the next day it was it was life-changing I played the next week and from memory I think I was best on ground so it was um, it was the turning point in my life that still I've told a couple of people and still it doesn't jump out at anyone because no one ever really saw it um, that's the biggest thing that happened to me in my career for sure. You just jumped out at me when you told me that. I had no idea. Um, final footy question. Uh, are you fulfilled? If it stopped tomorrow, are you fulfilled? Uh, I, I think so. Um, and I think this situation that everyone's been dealing with gets to thrust that question on us in real time. Mm. I've done everything I could, I think, to this point. Um, I'd love to achieve more. I, I can't wait uh, to be a part of that first Fremantle Premiership team. Like that's an unbelievable goal to be able to work towards and focus on every day of your life. Um, but I, I can do only what I can do and the rest is sort of up to the universe. Well, let's not talk about footy anymore. We've talked about footy for now. Um, let's talk about surfing. Mm, yes. So Lake Grace, <laughs> what's your local break? <laughs> <laughs> We we whip up a little bit of a windswell on the on the lake sometimes. <laughs> um, no, mate, it, it really spawned from a starvation of ocean time. As I said, once a year we'd get to Albany or Bremer Bay, see the ocean for a couple of days. I never really got to see it. And then I moved to Perth for boarding school, started to go to the beach a little bit. It wasn't until I turned pro with footy that we had all this idle time on our hands. And my roommate at the time, Joe Van Burlo, um, he oh, yeah. was a pretty keen surfer and he dragged me out a couple of times and away we went from there. What was it about surfing? Uh, mate, everything you know, the the, um, the 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 calmness, the connection to nature, the, the challenge of trying to learn a new thing. Um, I got into surfing then pretty quickly got into kite surfing because all our training sessions are in the morning so by the time you could get into the water the sea breeze was in so... Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to kite surf than surf. Um, for me now, surfing is like I'm a recreational surfer at best and I have no problems admitting that. With footy, quite ambitious, quite competitive, want to be the best I can be. But with surfing, like I love to be genuinely average and just have a fun time every time I'm out there. 
I didn't learn to surf, this is about you, not me, but I didn't learn to surf till uni. Instead of doing accounting and economics in my business degree, I was learning to surf and I live in a small town now where everybody surfs and most of them grew up here, a little place called Bowen Heads, and they can all surf, like really surf. And I can't, and it frustrates me and I look at it and I just can't think how I can do that. You don't have any frustration. You don't look at people and think, geez, I wish I could do that. Or you're just happy to be a mug. Mate, um, there are times when I go down to Dunsford Market River and there's a seven-year-old Grom just shredding and throwing buckets in my face. Um, but I like to surf on the performance foamies, I call them, the Mick Fanning foamy or, yep. because it reminds me that I'm out here to have fun and, and I don't need to climb to be better and better and better and better. And I, that way I can enjoy any day, any surf and... Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I don't do the best. It's great. Plenty more of Nat to come, but uh, the statisticians at Podcast One, the good people there, have sent me all sorts of information telling me that the back catalogue is getting a lot of love at the moment. It is great that some of you are going over the previous episodes and listening to some you may have missed, like last week's chat that featured the coach of the Melbourne Storm, Craig Bellamy. But where it's unfair is, is, is the families. The families cop hoops, you know, and my mum copped a lot of abuse in her, her, her small town. You know, she didn't do anything wrong, but she cops abuse. But the, I had wonderful support from my family. And I remember, I don't tell too many people this, so you're lucky, well, not lucky, Harry, but uh, Harry, but, you know, my daughter sent me um, a little poem down, a little saying, uh, it was in a frame and whatever, and basically between me saying what I said and, hey, I, I, I need to do that. I, I need to put those actions into, into actions now. And uh, I, I need that days out. I've said it, so I need to back it up. And she sent me a, this frame that said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I read that. <laughs> I reckon I read that twice every night, and that helped keep, keep me going too because it wasn't okay. That's Craig Bellamy on episode 96 of the show. Alrighty, let's get back to Nat. Uh, talking about seven-year-old Groms, I've got an eight-year-old Grom at home. Uh, his name is Mac, rolls as the big penguin. The big penguin. <laughs> the big penguin. Um, self-proclaimed, don't know why, at about, oh, age, that's great. at about age two and a half when he was just learning to talk, he said, I don't want to be called Mac anymore, I want to be called the big penguin. Um, he's in bed out there and he has about four penguins in his bed, uh, stuffed penguins. This is his question for you, Nathan. Hi, Fifey, Big Penguin here. I'm a big fan of your work. I heard that you like surfing. I love surfing as well. I've been on some surf trips, and some of the surf trips I've been on are to a double island point in Queensland, another place called Red Frog that's in Panama, and a place in Costa Rica that I won't tell you about because it's a secret, but it's got a smoking run. What's your favourite place to go surfing on your surf trips? <laughs> Big penguin with a good male and keeping it close to his chest too. Yeah. He knows the game. He does. So this is naturally going to go into surfing and travel, which is why I really wanted to get you on this podcast. But if there's a place you've discovered that you can go back to tomorrow, where would it be? Oh, there's a few, mate. Um, travel is such an enriching experience and you mix surfing with it and then um, that's basically what I do every off-season. I've been fortunate enough to go to the Maldives five times and I stumbled across this little local island, which I won't reveal the name of. Um, Big penguin became, style. 
Big Penguin style, yep. Um, <laughs> became quite good mates with the local uh, guy there and have, have been back a number of times. Amazing right-handed as a left paddle distance away as well. Um, I've surfed in Norway with zero-degree air temperature and snow-covered mountains. What was that like? Uh, it was sick, mate. It was um, the the vibe in the water was everyone was just so stoked to see other people out there and getting around each other and calling each other into the waves. Uh, I said, is there any shark risk out here? And they said, no, the occasional orca would swim <laughs> past, but <laughs> that's about it. Um, that's in, that was an incredible place. Um, and then, as you know, sort of Central America, um, at South America, I surfed Peru, Chicama, the longest left in the world. I managed to surf that in the off-season uh, five weeks after I had a shoulder reconstruction, so I was paddling around one arm to start with, but that was, yeah, incredible experience as well. I surfed at Puerto Chicama many years ago, Nat, when I was only just learning to surf, and massive sweep down there. I don't know if there was a sweep when you were surfing, but a massive sweep. It was only about three foot, and there was a fishing net in the lineup, and Ooh. I got caught in the fishing net. <laughs> with my leg rope, and I kept getting dragged under. It was one of the more frightening surfing experiences of my life. Um, but what do, you, what do you get from, you know, people are going to be listening to that and they're saying Norway and, and uh, Peru and you mentioned Costa Rica. What do you get from going on a end-of-season holiday that isn't Bali or Thailand? <laughs> uh, and nothing against those places either. No, uh, no. I mean, for me, as soon as I get out of Australia, um, People don't know me, and you don't realise how much how much that builds up until you actually get to a place and spend a couple of weeks there, and no one's looking sideways at you, hmm. um, or even just coming up and saying good day or waving at you, and that and, and that that is an amazing feeling. I haven't had that for sort of five or six years, having lived in Fremantle, which is a footy town in a footy state. That's the first thing. The second thing is just that it just satisfies that endless curiosity to wander and just explore the unknown and, and realise how small you are in the, in the context of everything else that's going on and, um, and just be um, not a construct of all the things that you've done. You can actually just reset and be, be nothing and just mix in with the local environment. So, yeah, I love it. Have you ever got in a scrape where you've been concerned for any particular reason, Nat? When travelling? Yes, um, 2013, after we'd lost the grand final, I was in the States mm-hmm. and we're at a beach party. Um, my mate and I, long story short, he wound up in jail for two nights. Um, <laughs> Good story. <laughs> for basically him and a couple of other drunk people jumped on a, a catamaran, pushed it off the sand and they got arrested for trying to steal a boat, which is ridiculous. So he was in jail for two nights. I had to go around and find uh, $6,000 US cash to bail him out of jail. (laughs) And we were staying in essentially a wicked van at the time. And so I was driving around from ATM to ATM in the middle of the night in like the deep south of America trying to strum up enough $800 transactions, which was the maximum, to build six grand so I could go and bail him out of jail and trying to run this equation in my head of do I ring the club and tell them what's going on or just get through this and hopefully nothing bad happens. And I went with option B. <laughs> of course you did. Um, and he got out of jail two nights later having not slept a wink and, um, yeah, since then everything's been pretty sweet. Where 
would you go that you haven't been yet that you'd like to go? I'm really keen on Russia. Um, it's enormous. It, it scares is. me a little bit and I don't know what I would find people or place-wise, but that's part I'm a bit excited about. So Russia is definitely on the list, as is a bit of um, sort of Mongolia, the top of China, that area. I'm, I'm really keen to explore that for the cultural, spiritual elements, but maybe maybe not for a couple of years when I'm, I'm a bit older. Um, and South Africa, I just want to explore the surf through South Africa. I haven't been to any of Africa, um, but those two hopefully we ticked off in the next two to three years. J-Bay, nice, nice. You been there? Uh, I have, I have. Um, I did a podcast yesterday that will probably come out after yours with Martin Potter, um, okay. former surf champion and surf commentator, and he said that J-Bay is the best wave in the world as far as he's concerned. So I'm not sure whether you and I, with respect, are, are we welcome in that sort of a lineup, or are we sitting on the beach with our phones? Well, I told him this story that I went there years ago, probably 1996, and was way out of my depth because they all surf like bloody McFanning over there and um, <laughs> paddled around, didn't get away for three and a half hours, three foot abs. Nat, I'm talking perfect, perfect <laughs> J-Bay. Finally, the wave came to me. No one else was there at the moment. They were all paddling back out. I stand up and I look down the line and it's like, right, this is the best wave you are ever going to surf. <laughs> and I did the first turn and bogged the rail and fell off. Oh, gooked it. <laughs> and did not get another wave for the rest of the session. So I hope you do better than I do when you go to J-Bay. I've always been fascinated, though, about riding a horse across Mongolia. So it's interesting you say Mongolia. Uh, a lot of people mm. won't realise the capital Ulaanbaatar I hear is quite the hotspot. So um, I want you to go on a horse when you get to Mongolia. Consider it done. Um, the business side of things, uh, you've got a lot of commercial partners. And I was talking to one of them the other day, um, the guys from uh, Otis and Creatures of Leisure, that obviously down in Southern WA, Nath and the guys down there, and they were talking yeah. about that you'd been strategizing in meetings with them. And I was like, oh, right. So it's not just wearing the sunglasses or putting the leg rope on. No. So how that started is about eight years ago, they sent me some products and they said, um, chuck it on, see what you think. So Creatures of Leisure do surf accessories, leashes, bags, leg ropes, uh, some, sorry, foot pads, those sorts of things. Yep. And Otis is a sunglass company made from mineral glass lenses, founded down in Dunsborough, also has a headquarters. Both businesses have headquarters in LA. So they started sending me product. I knew a little bit about them, started wearing it, really liked it and was surfing with one of the main guys down there, Shane Partington, and um, and Shane and I would just surf a couple of times. He'd take me to some good spots. We'd talk a bit of business, talk a bit of footy, and that relationship built over a number of years to a point where um, I sort of asked if I could buy into the company, buy a bit of equity, and they did the DD on me and said, yep, sweet, come on board. So I've gradually in, increased my involvement with those companies over the last couple of years. We've um, done a couple of strategy meetings where I um, have a bit of input around culture and working in teams. Hmm. Um, and that's something as the back end of my career goes on, I'll be keen to get a little bit more involved with. Um, and the same with all of my partners, Adidas, Lexus, Seven West Crown, I've been with the same people my whole career and I don't uh, envisage going anywhere else. They're great people um, and I really value loyalty. So, um, yeah, that's where I'll be. So just following on from that, there's a couple of um, 
one of the sort of those stories that float around urban legend about you. And now I need you to tell me, <laughs> true, true or not true, <laughs> Here if, we go. if you can, true or not true, if you can. Did you help fund a beer company that blew up <laughs> and provided you some extra money? I'm not going to ask you figures, but were you involved in a beer company, yes or no? Because some people have told me yes, other articles have said no. Can you answer that or not? I can. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's true. The, what the, what's the beer called? Pirate Life um, in Adelaide. A couple of my – one of my best mates and his old man and another brewer uh, – came to me and a number of other investors, 2013 or 14, I think it was, and said, uh, can we have some money? And I said, absolutely, and expected never to see it again. And um, the thing took off and they did amazing things, mixed in with some good timing and um, they've been bought out by CUB and have a really, really good quality business. Well done. Can you fly a helicopter? I can. Um, Really? I was actually expecting that was one of the ones that wasn't true. Right. How'd you no, learn to fly I, a chopper? Well, it's the same thing. When I got this job as a professional football player, I had all this spare time on my hands. <laughs> it was either learn to surf one and go to uni, but I didn't want to do a commerce degree, which was going to take eight to ten years given we'd have to do it part-time. So instead I went and got my chopper licence and um, I was qualified about five years ago and mainly sort of fly around with a couple of mates uh, now and the idea will be in the next couple of years once I spend more time in the southwest down there where I have some business interests that I'll be able to fly between the two and also down to Lake Grace. Danger- dangerous things, choppers. I was driving back to Perth the morning the Kobe Bryant stuff went down and it's the first time that I've gone, okay, um, I have a good hard look at this one. There was a Channel 10 Perth news chopper crashed seven or eight years ago. Everyone was okay. Um, I used to fly around in the Channel 10 Melbourne news chopper and just always used to think, well, there's only one engine in this. What happens? Mm. Have you ever had problems in your chopper or it's all been okay? All been okay, but you spend most of your licence learning how to land it without an engine. Right. Um, <laughs> which is interesting, but I do remember one a part of my training um, where the instructor pointed at the nut on the top of the single piston helicopter engines have a nut on the top called the Jesus nut. Yeah. Why is that one called the Jesus nut? And he sort of just casually said, well, if that comes off, you're off to see Jesus. <laughs> did, you, did you, which surprised me, spending a lot of time upside down underwater falling off my surfboard, I shat myself doing the Hewitt training. So for the, the underwater training, obviously, that you must have done where, you know, they spin you upside down and you've got to get out of the metal carcass of the chopper. Did worry You've you done that? that? Yeah. I had to do I it. haven't done – no, I haven't done that. You don't have to do it for our level of, oh, of licence. We had to do it to go on the Channel 10 chopper. It probably shows you how dodgy the Channel 10 chopper was. <laughs> That's amazing. Frightening. Um, I only got a couple more questions for you, mate. Mm. When you finish playing footy and people – that have just seen you as a football will now realise you're doing your MBA, you're involved in business, there's a lot, there's travel and there's surfing. What is your grand plan? You're only a young man, but you must have some idea about what you plan to do when, you know, you've finished at three hours, a three-time premiership captain and a five-time Brownlow medalist and you're done. Four. Um, good question. I, I don't have the answer to that and I'm quite comfortable with that. If I knew exactly what I was doing, for the rest of my life, I'd, I'd probably be a bit scared by that. Um, but I tr- like to think that I've got a few pans on the stovetop cooking away, business, footy, um, 
where I'm going to live, those sorts of things are constantly simmering away. And once it all is said and done, then I'll be able to make some calculate, calculated decisions about what comes next. Um, I've never thought I'd want to stay in footy. I've always thought that once I was finished mm. here, that would be it. But the older I get, the more I realise that having spent by then, it'll be 15-odd years in the game, that's a lot of experience and information to just walk away with. Um, so I think I will probably stay connected in some way, whether that's through, um, yeah, I'm not sure how. Um, the media side of things, I see it as fulfilling a purpose, but I'm not sure that I am overly interested in heading down that pathway. But again, doing enough to get the experience to have that as an option, hopefully. Um, and I think the trucks will always play a role in my life at some level, either through um, continuing dad's, dad's legacy or um, to be involved more with my brother, who's involved in the business as well. I think that'll that'll play a part. I think the media will suit you, Nath. I'll tell you a couple of things about the media because as looking at me, you'll realise, one, you need to be a very good-looking rooster, which you've got covered <laughs> but two, you need to be able to talk. I think I think you'd be a natural in the media. I only say that as a joke. No, yeah, and so, be humble as well, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, no, but I think, I think the media would... You've come on, on Triple M where I've worked a few times and we've always finished the interview and thought, wow, that was more than the stock standard responses we get from footballers. So I think you'd be a natural fit in that area. Thanks, man. Um, the significance of this question won't mean as much to you because you're not a father. But at some stage, if that's what you wish to do with life, hopefully that comes your way. We are lucky uh, not to have a lot of kids listen to this show. Uh, if they are trying to achieve something in life, whether it be the world's best piano player or scientist or footballer or tennis player, whatever floats their boat, what advice would you give them about what is necessary to achieve something in life from your experiences so far? I mean, my advice would be similar to what you would hear from other people, but uh, the first one would be identify what it is that you want to achieve and have a real hard conversation with yourself around whether that's what you really want to achieve um, and if you're willing to make the sacrifices and pay the price to get there. And if the answer is yes, then my advice would be go all in. Um, don't have a plan B. Don't be looking for the back exits to get out in case it fails, you go and do something else. Uh, be left exhausted and devastated having not fulfilled what you wanted to do but given it absolutely every possible um, effort that you could have in trying to achieve it. And I see a lot of people um, say, I want to do this, but if that doesn't work, I'll do this and then I'll do this and having plans B, C and D ready to go. But for me, what's worked is is having all the chips on the table, going all in and um, and hanging on for the ride. I love it. Um, a, a reluctant appearer on podcasts in the past, what's it been like to reflect? I've enjoyed it. Um, Good. As a high-achieving person, it's going to be hard for me not to want to get feedback off you at some point soon and in the long term to see how this all went. But, really? yeah, I've enjoyed the chat. Well, I've told you, I'll tell you now, mate, it's an outstanding episode. You were open, you were honest, you were warm, you are engaging. Um, people will absolutely lap it up. So I've given you a 9 out of 10. I can take that. <laughs> don't don't email me tomorrow and ask what was required to get a 10, okay? Just don't do it, all right? Be happy with a no, 9. I will, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate you coming on the show. ta what a good lad. What a good lad Nat Fife is. That is an episode that I really enjoyed recording. I hope you all took something from it as well. 
There's a fella in that that has a really great outlook on life. He's always looking to improve and he is prepared to take on feedback, which is never easy. So good luck to Nat for the rest of the season. Cheers to old mate Darcy Thompson for getting it out to you as always. I hope you all have a great positive week until next Thursday when we are joined by Kevin Musket. Muskie, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener